SAFM Sports Wrap. SFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Well, let's get straight into it, uh, talking football, because uh, big news over the weekend is that Amajita went on to win the Kasafa Under-20 Championships. They beat Lesotho 2-1 in the final on uh, on Saturday after a very impressive competition in which they beat Egypt, who were guests of uh, Kasafa this tournament, twice in the tournament on their way to the victory. Delighted to welcome on the line coach of the uh, National Under-20 side, Tabo Sinong. Tabo, thanks for joining us. Good evening. Good evening, Dwayne, and uh, good evening to SAFM listener. Oh, it's good to chat to you again, Tabo. But uh, firstly, I should say a huge congratulations. This was a this was a pretty tough tournament in uh, in a way, but you came away with the gold. Yeah, good job uh, from the entire team. It was a collective effort. Uh, everyone worked hard. The entire management, technical team. So yes, and the players themselves. So basically, this is just part of our process. Uh, trying to build a very strong youth teams going forward. So we are happy with the progress so far. Just put it into perspective for us, because I was having a chat about about uh, the, the win over the weekend to somebody, and they said, yeah, but you know, you beat Lesotho. And I'm going, yes, but you you know, this is a side that beat Egypt twice as well. I mean, overall, how significant was the quality of this tournament when you consider that you also won every match in it? Yeah, I must say that uh, the standard of this tournament has improved, Dwayne. It's a very tough tournament. Uh, we prepared well. We knew uh, what to do in every match. And uh, yeah, it wasn't good games, but we just went there to go and develop our boys, go and learn. And yeah, we learned, we learned a lot from many teams. And of course, we also, uh, hopefully some teams have learned a few things from us. But it's about development and it's about competitive football. And yeah, we worked hard. And uh, well done to the boys again for for bringing a trophy medal. But for us, we are impressed with the with the performance of the players. You know, they were very very brilliant in every match. Yeah, there's a couple of individual performances, and certainly a couple of individuals I want to ask you about actually, because I, I I've heard a couple of hours ago Amazulu have signed uh, defender Spisiso Mabilisa on a on a on a three-year deal. Lyle Foster, I know, has been a regular in the Pirates squad this season. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the best players in most countries are playing at 17 to 19. But, but you know, so few genuine opportunities, I suppose, given to the under-20 players in PSL teams. How, how do you convince coaches to give youngsters a chance, like, like Lyle Foster got at, at Pirates, for example? Yeah, I think we, we just need to understand uh, that, uh, obviously, young players can be inconsistent. So, yes, they did well at the Kosafa Cup, but uh, they are still developing. And I just feel that our PSL coaches must just give them time to to gradually uh, uh, be introduced into the team setups because they shouldn't be rushed. And they are, they, are, they are fortunate that there's the MDC League that will just keep them busy in terms of playing minutes. And, yes, so with monitoring with time, they will get their chances eventually. But we shouldn't rush them because... There's still another step after under 20, which is the under 23. So let's allow them to get more cap, more international experience, and hopefully they should be ready for PSL football. Just looking forward, though, on that point, uh, Tabo, well, you know, there's a lot of emerging talent in, in South Africa, that's clear. Um, you know, especially with recent successes on, on the international stage. But it doesn't always seem to translate to full international success when you look back at previous youth successes to, to, to current national team. Is there is there a sort of break? I mean, why do you feel there's no not always a translation to full international success for, for certain players? Yeah, well, our, our biggest challenge is exposure for our young, talented boys. You know, we we need to make sure that we expose them to 
uh, junior international tournaments. Uh, and of course, uh, they need to compete from as early as 16. They need to get experience of competing. I mean, I must say, I saw the, Euro- uh, the Egyptians. Uh, they told us that they always travel to Europe to play tournaments. Yes. Their, their mental strength, uh, their tactical application, you can see that uh, they were favorites to win the tournament. It's a very strong team. And uh, yes, we, we, we've seen interesting stuff from there. So that's what we need to do also with our South African youngsters. We need to play a lot of tournaments abroad so that we play against the best, so that we can minimize the gap a little bit. Then hopefully we can produce better teams going forward and better players that can compete at the biggest leagues. Yeah, because I mean, look, when you look back over the last couple of years, just to, to I suppose, elaborate on that, was you know, we, we were at the 2015 uh, FIFA Under 17 World Cup, then the 2017 FIFA Under 20 World Cup earlier this year in, in Korea, and, and of course now we're Kasafa Cup uh, Under 20 champions again. So the, the future does look really bright. So, so, so I suppose, in a sense, we need to make sure that the, these talented players get the support and guidance they need to be able to go on and uh, have full careers rather than just uh, peter out at fledgling level. Yeah, absolutely, Dwayne. Uh, the reason some countries are excelling was because of the synergy that they had uh, with clubs, you know. So that's what is improving, you know, in our country at the moment. The cooperation between clubs and SAFA uh, is improving with regard to junior national teams. Players were released in time. This time we didn't have a lot of issues with unavailability. And, of course, important camps, if you remember, our players went to go camp uh, for six days in Lesotho before we started this tournament. So mm-hmm. preparation, uh, cooperation with clubs will always strengthen our junior national teams and hopefully it can help us to compete uh, against the best at international level. Now, of course, uh, one of the things that we often see is either a great attack and a horrible defence or a great defence and a horrible attack. This tournament, you had a great attack and a great defence. <laughs> Uh, Tabo, what was the secret in particular? Guys like uh, Lubuyo Mkachana, a player of the tournament as well, uh, with, uh, what was it, three goals, I think, overall in the tournament? Yeah, no, look, we sat down with uh, Stuart Baxter, you know, uh, the entire Amajida staff, because if you remember, Stuart Baxter spent the first night with us uh, in the first day of the camp when we prepared for this tournament. So he had one session with the boys, and we agreed on the tactical base that we need to lay so that... Uh, there can be uniformity between Amaji and Bafana. So mm. the set plays, we worked on them. We dominated transitions. We dominated critical phase. We, we used possession effectively. We were not negative in our possession. So, yes, we were just following the principles that we are using together uh, with Hellman, Kelele, with Stuart Baxter, and everyone involved in the national team setup because it's important that there's a foundation that late, especially for uniformity. And, yes... With an organized structure, then the individuals can shine. And we are not surprised that individuals such as uh, Kachana, Lyle Foster, Nkosingi Pile Ngobo, and uh, George Matro, all these players excelled because uh, they, they, they express their individual skills on a solid uh, tactical base. Uh, Matlo expressed his uh, individual skills somewhere a little too far in that one game. Red card. I'm not going to talk about that. But I wanted to ask you about I wanted to ask you about uh, Hellman's influence because uh, I mean Hellman is one of the great players of all time in uh, in, in Southern Africa. Certainly, do do these youngsters? Uh, this is the thing that I'm not sure about. Do do they recognise him as the genuine talent that he was? Because I don't know if many of them would have been old enough to watch him play. 
Yeah, but that's what we do uh, in our camps, you know, Dwayne. We we always have uh, our evening presentations where we try to remind them about our yesterday, our okay. yesterday heroes. Yeah, because uh, it's important that we profile our Neil Tovis, our Sean Butler, and Hellman. But with regard to Hellman, they are very fortunate that Hellman works with them every day. Mm. And uh, Hellman is a, you know, is a 24-hour pro. You know, mm. even as a coach, as he was as a player, very humble. So he's teaching them a lot of humility, sharing them his, sharing his experiences that he had. You know, when he was in Turkey. So yes, they are very blessed to have such a coach around them, and they are. We're also very blessed as a coaching staff to have Hellman as our assistant because he's a great human being and a very experienced coach because he's a SAFA qualified instructor. So, yes, SAFA are doing a good job in investing in their ex pro footballers, you know. Yeah, well, I think uh, I think it's uh, it's great to have him on board. And certainly I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that, uh, that, that there seems to be some synergy, not only between you and him and uh, and the players, uh, but also between the Bafana Bafana coach as well and Stuart Baxter. It sounds like things are on the right track, Tabo Sanong, but certainly uh, thanks for your time this evening. Well done again on a successful campaign, and I wish you everything of the best in the, in the new year. Thank you so much, Dwayne. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And I was watching closely yesterday. It was uh, quite a tense day, if we have to be honest, with the Ashes. Uh, started out with a bit of rain about in Perth. And uh, I know the entire English squad were dancing and praying that it rained all day because they were staring down a, another loss uh, to hand. The Ashes back to Australia. In the end, uh, that's what happens. And shortly after the close of play, the rain came down in Perth. So timing was perfect. We join now by cricket pundit Tom Sizen. Tom, welcome on to SAFM Sports Chat this evening. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Yeah, overnight on day four, I think there was a lot of wind, and uh, I think the covers came off and a bit of rain sheet thunder, and <laughs> that was that was England's last chance, I think. Uh, that That's what they relied on to, to hold on to this series. But unfortunately um, for the Aussies, the, where they held up and they managed to sort things out, and they did the job, as they have done throughout the series so far. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Tom, it's 3-0. There's still two matches to come. And if you look at it on paper, you, you'd think that the Aussies have been super, super dominant. But the truth of the matter is England have, have thrown this away. They've had the opportunities. And in the crucial, crucial parts in the series uh, and the crucial points, they've lost it. And, and this test match just epitomizes the entire thing. England were in such a strong position going into day two uh, and a bit into day two where, where they were batting well. They were, were looking like they could set up a big first innings, five. 550 and then they lost their way and let Australia back into the game and, and in the end that's what cost them Yeah, well, we were chatting before the test match um, about Steve Smith saying that the Ashes could be decided by just a couple of sessions and that's exactly what's happened again I mean England were 370 for 4 at one point on day 2 and actually funnily enough George Dobble of Crick Info he said that David Milan wasn't clinical enough so even though he was the one that scored the runs he got 140 he actually needed to step on and realize that, you know, England are in dominant position. Let's try and dominate these Aussies. And once again, they just collapsed. And as Smith said before the test, it was decided in one session. You know, they got 405 or whatever all out and they were 370 for four. And the Aussies just cashed in once again. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's what what really did cost them. But uh, I think a special mention does need to go to to Steve Smith. Uh, I mean, he's been fantastic in the series. I've I've never been a big fan, but uh, my opinion of him has changed. Uh, he, he's he's a nuggety batsman. He's hard to get out, and when he gets the chance, he'll bat all day. 
Yeah, well, there was an incredible stat to emerge this morning. Only Don Bradman in the history of cricket has got more batting points in the rankings than Steve Smith currently has. That's how phenomenal Smith is at the moment. And, I mean, these things are decided by the big guy stepping up when it counts. Steve Smith getting another double ton. It was actually his highest ever test score. And you look at the experienced guys in the England setup, like Root and Cook. I mean, Cook has got, I think, 80-odd runs from six innings. And Smith has got more runs in this series than Root and Cook combined. And that really says it all. I mean, let alone the, the bowlers for Australia that have been dominating. Smith has been doing it with the bat. And then you've got guys coming in like Mitchell Marsh, who would not have, uh, you could not have predicted him featuring at all in this Ashes. He goes and blasts 180. So they've got the depth as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about England's woes because they 3 nil down in the series. There's two big ones to come. Melbourne on Boxing Day, then they head to Sydney. And, and uh, I think neutrals would have hoped that the series would go down to those two test matches because they are just such iconic grounds and such iconic occasions. But it's not to be. England now staring down the barrel of a possible, uh, possible whitewash. Well, now there's a new dynamic for the neutrals because they're going to probably want to see another whitewash. Because a few of the um, ex-Aussie legends like Glenn McGrath, he was predicting a 5-0 before the series started. And most of us were thinking, oh, he's so biased, there's no way that... I mean, it looks likely that it's going to happen again. And it's going to be the third time in four ashes in Australia that it could happen. That's how dominant they are. And I think from a neutral point of view, there's not much going for England. I think a lot of people would just want to see Australia just smash them now. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, some of their, their batting woes, uh, the likes of, as you mentioned, Alistair Cook. Do we need to see some, some massive personnel changes? Yeah, I mean, like you say, Alistair Cook, why is he in that team? He's not scoring runs. How long do you back a horse like that? Yeah, well, it's pretty devastating for the English now because there's a lot of talk of the trio of Broad, Anderson and Cook potentially retiring now after this series, which is sad news for the English fans. I mean, Cook... In theory and on paper, I mean, he's played 150 tests. He averages, I think, 45 with the bat. He should be scoring runs. There's no reason why he shouldn't. He got one of his highest ever test scores. He got a double century early in the year. So he's more than capable of scoring the runs. He's just so poor in form. And that has such a massive knock-on effect for the rest of the batting lineup. They need someone like Alistair Cook with 150 tests of experience to step up. And the rest will rally. So you've got to feel a bit sorry for Root because he's been surrounded by these off-field dramas involving Stokes and Bairstow and Ben Duckett, and he doesn't even have the leadership around him to help him. Yeah, that's for me as well, is, is leadership is a, is a big thing. Tom, is, is he the right guy to be leading England? Is there anyone else who could, who could step in there and, and, and help him or, or, or maybe take over? Well, that's the problem for England at the moment. I don't think there really is anyone stepping up in, in that format. I mean... Ben Stokes would have been that guy. He's the vice captain, but there's no way he can now. And um, I think the next in line was Stuart Broad, and he's contemplating retiring. So there really is no one at the moment. And it's just, it, I feel a bit sorry for Root. I mean, I saw on Instagram about half an hour ago, Kevin Peterson put a picture of Joe Root with a water gun, sort of to, to show that, you know, he, there's, there's no ammo there. And uh, that he put a gun next to his name in the caption. I wish... I think suggests that KP wants Root fired from the captaincy, which I think is just a posh. You know, I think Root does have the capabilities of being a leader. He's the best batsman in that in that team, and I don't think you can judge his performance on one series. Um, yes, he's had a tough time as a captain in this series, but 
I think you've got to give the guy a bit more time. Can England bounce back? Uh, I know the series is gone now. Uh, I mean, if, if they were to bounce back, this was the one. They had the perfect opportunity. Are, are we going to see a whitewash, in your opinion, Tom? I think so. Um, I think the England selectors must be brave now. They haven't been in this series. I think there's a couple of guys on the bench. There's um, Tom Curran. He's probably the fastest guy in that squad, to be honest. And there's another, there's a spinner called Mason Crane. He's played every warm-up game in Australia. That's the weird thing. They've got a quality leg spinner who's played every warm-up game and he's impressed every time. And they haven't, for some reason, found space for him in that team. So I think the only way England are going to get anything out of this is, is if they're a bit bolder with their selections. They give guys a go who are fresh and just want to play and play well. And I, I still don't really see it happening, to be honest. I think Australia are so full of confidence and their team is looking seriously good. They've got quality and contributions coming from the whole team. And oh, they're just very difficult to break down, especially in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And with a name like Mason Crane, if he doesn't get to play cricket on this tour, I'm sure there's a television soap opera that's crying out for a character called Mason Crane. Uh, he would be perfect, I'm sure. <laughs> Tom Sizen, uh it's been great catching up. Thank you very much. Uh, let's hope that England can bounce back, but uh, I'm with you. I can't see it happening. Should be another great spectacle at uh, the MCG on Boxing Day. Thanks for your time and enjoy the cricket. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Let's hope the Barmy Army have a little bit to celebrate because they were full of voice right to the end on day five. And I just feel the most sorry for them, I think. I'm sure they're having a good time nonetheless, Tom. It doesn't really matter. The cricket's a sideshow, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> have a good evening, mate. Take care. You too. Cheers. SAFM Sports Wrap. On to some athletics news now, and uh, you're listening to SAFM Sports Wrap. Uh, towards the end of last week, a provisional Commonwealth Games team for Team South Africa uh, was released. There's obviously still going to be some changes, some additions. We join now by Manfred Seidler with those games happening uh, in Australia, Melbourne, uh, in April next year. Manfred, welcome on to SAFM Sports Wrap. Thanks uh, for your time this evening. Great stuff. Thanks, Brad. And it's, it's the Gold Coast. Melbourne was in 2006. <laughs> What am I saying, Melbourne? Yes, that's right. It is on the Gold Coast. Uh, as far as the, the provisional team goes, in your mind, any any surprises uh, so far? Or is it still too early to, to really delve too deep into it? No, I don't think any surprises. I think some disappointments, maybe, because there's no marathon runners whatsoever. I mean, Athletic South Africa have once again set uh, their own qualification criteria. And... Um, you know, we've got a team of 22 athletes right now, worrying only four women and the rest being men. We think this is a problem with every single team that is announced, and I mean, that's just an ongoing issue. But as I say, uh, 22 athletes, um, no major surprises really. They, Athletic South Africa and Suscock did say that any athlete who hit the qualifying criteria or times and distances and, and heights, etc., at the World Champs would automatically be included, providing they, they pass a fitness test. Um, the fitness test being uh, starting in January all the way to 31, 31 March. The games happen in, in uh, middle, uh, early to mid-April. So no surprises really. Obviously, uh, uh, we're missing weight for Nick AQ to injury, which is a bit of a blow to our, I think, our, our 4 by one meter relay team. Um, but uh, no surprises. The Carnies in there, and also dribbled one, and likely enough, having qualified in the 100 and not in the 200, which is his, his better event. But... Um, we hope the powers that be see sense and enter them in both. He's going there, might as well enter them in both. And then uh, um, a new name, Luxola Adams, is in the 200 meters. He, he beat Akane the other day uh, at Tuckies. Akane had a dreadful start, which just really messed up his race. And then Makoka is, is down for the 10,000 meters, but he said to me he's more interested in the marathon. 
Um, so interesting times ahead, I think, but no major surprises. Uh, our, our star jumpers are in there. Luba Manyonga, Rushul Samai, Brayton Paul. What a, what a season he's had this year. Um, and yeah, and, and the women's front has said very thin. Only four athletes. Karina Horn, Justine Paul from Ancaster and uh, Samania and Wenda now. So I beg your pardon. It's actually five. Samantha Fulian is also in there. So uh, five women, 23 athletes, not 22. My math is not really up to scratch right now, but it looks like Manfred, you, you said worrying only five women in that team. Is, yeah. is there something we can do to remedy that between now and April, or is as uh, the horse bolted on this one? Is it uh, a case of uh, we, we've dropped the ball once again? Uh, look, I think I think it's a, it's an ongoing issue, whether it's Commonwealth Games, World Champs, Africa Champs, Olympic Games, whatever. We just do not have the depth in women's athletics, and, and I think in women's sport in general. Um, we seem to be, be, be struggling for a whole host of reasons, which is a complete separate debate. But it is something, and we've been saying this for years, that has to urgently be addressed. Um, you know, we need to be representative of the country, but it, if we're only sending such small uh, women's teams, it's really not inspiring to any other woman athletes to go out there and try uh, uh, and, and be part of this team. So it's a bit of a, a double-edged sword, I think. You, you want the best to go, but you're also going to give athletes the opportunities and, and inspire them to go. And by sending a small team, I think we're making a statement that it's, it's almost not worth your while to be in athletics. Yeah, which is I actually just said that. <laughs> yeah, which which is sad, but that is that is uh, essentially what it boils down to. You mentioned the marathon runners as well. Uh, it's yeah, basically four months, four and a bit months uh, to to the games. Uh, as a marathon runner, you you need to peak and uh, you have to pick your races pretty carefully. Again, is it one of those cases that it's too late now to qualify? Or if we are finding a case where where marathon runners are are hammering times to try and get a qualifying time, that they could arrive uh, in Australia tired and uh, not in their in their best sort of shape. What's the story I, there, Manfred? I, I think Brad, uh, the marathon runners who have who wanted to qualify for the Commonwealth Games have understood that it's too late now. As you say, otherwise they'll be chasing. You know, there might be a chance to run a marathon in Dubai in January, but then you've got uh, February and March, April, you've got less than three months to recover, and that's probably not enough. Um, you know, we have marathon runners who, who should be going, such as Stephen McCorker, and who's, who said he wants to rather do the, the marathon as opposed to uh, the 10,000 metres. Um, so it, it, it's... Yeah, the horse has bolted on the marathon front. Nadine Conrad was desperately wanting to be on that marathon team. She's still hoping she can get into it. She hasn't um, run the qualifying time, despite her personal best in Valencia at 2.34 the other day. Um, you know, and, and the best thing you can say to, to somebody like Olina is, is, is plan for a marathon in April. There are international marathons. If you get selected, then you've done the training. If you haven't, then you... And you'll know by the 5th of January, because that's when they announce the team, then you've still got the option of running an international marathon. Of course, wanting to represent your country in the case of Nolene and a whole host of other athletes is massive, uh, massive for them. But, you know, maybe they'd have to just unfortunately settle for uh, uh, an international marathon in April. So it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing pro- uh, uh, problem, Brad. And, and I think... In my mind, we know we've got Commonwealth Games next year. It's too late for that. We know we've got World Champs in 2019. We've got uh, Olympic Games in 2020 and, and so on and so forth. Why are we not selecting a squad now, saying to athletes now, you're in the squad? Um, these are the criteria. And give them two years, 18 months notice in terms of what they need to do. Then there's no issues. Then nobody's running around trying to hit qualification standards because they just simply no. And I think that's where... 
um, both over there, South Africa and SASCOF need to, to be a little bit more proactive in terms of letting athletes know what selection criteria actually is. I think they just need to give them more leeway, more notice, yeah. basically. Absolutely, so they can plan their lives. Uh, off the Commonwealth Games trip uh, news today that uh, Justin Gatlin, uh, there's uh, been a couple of issues around his uh, management team uh, with regards to doping. What's the story there, Manfred? Well, he's just released a statement on Twitter. I'm not using and have not used PEDS, PEDS being performance-enhancing drugs. I was shocked, surprised to learn that my coach would have anything to do with even the appearance of these current accusations. I have fired him as soon as I found out about this. All legal options are on the table, as I will not allow others to lie about me like this. I have no further comments as it is now a legal matter. They will next hear from my lawyer. Thanks to all my supporters. Well wishes, Justin Gatlin. So that's a pretty harsh and blunt and, and direct statement that, that uh, Justin Gatlin uh, put out on Twitter. He also has made available, when this whole story broke, the last five years of his, his, uh, his, dope, uh, his drug tests. He's made them available, um, and it, in which he hasn't actually failed any, any drug tests. So he's made a pretty strong statement that, guys, this is history. I'm now clean. Um, Jury's out whether or not that that's the case because doping these days is really, really easy to hide, unfortunately. Um, but he's come out very strongly and he had to. He tried his coach, which is Dennis Mitchell, a former sprint himself, and also been, been, been bust for performance enhancing uh, in drugs. So strong statement, and I suppose we see now where it goes. Uh, Brad, the interesting for me, thing for me was when I saw the article on The Telegraph today, um, it was a discussion in which Justin Gatlin got pulled into. He actually wasn't part of this entire discussion initially. Um, Richard Wagner, the German, uh, the, yeah, the German agent or Austrian agent, um, athlete agent, athlete representative, um, he was allegedly approached by a, a British um, television uh, station, and they said we want to post as film producers who wanted to have a, a, a movie on sprinting. What do they need to do? And, you know, and I started asking about doping. And I said, you know, this guy that we've got in mind as an actor needs to beef up. And Richard Wagner was then talking about drugs. And he then recommended Dennis Mitchell as the coach and the person to sort of manage the, 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 the performance enhancing drugs. So I don't think, from what I saw and what I read, I think Justin Gatlin was being, like love him or hate him, he's been roped into something which is not of his doing. It'll be interesting to see how it unravels there. Yeah, going to be very interesting to 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 watch that one uh, again. It's uh, there is. Uh, I mean, Justin Gatlin has served uh, time for for a drugs uh, offence. I think he's done that twice. Uh, so yeah, often a, often a case where the smoke, there's fire. Not directly involved here, but his team is. So uh, we'll watch that one very very closely. Manfred Sider, thank you very much uh, for that. We look forward to catching up when the final team is announced early in January. Have yourself a, a great Christmas, and we look forward to catching up again soon. Thanks, Brad. Appreciate it, and thank you. SAFM Sports Wrap. And that's it for SAFM Sports Wrap tonight. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks to my team in Johannesburg as well. Uh, Loyola and Zelma, thanks for your help this evening. We're back again tomorrow evening at 6.30. I'll be back again tomorrow afternoon on PM Live. More sport for you tomorrow morning on AM Live with Janet Witten coming up on the other side of your 7 o'clock news. It is the talk shop with Naledi Maleo. Lots to chat about tonight as well, so make sure you stay tuned. Have yourself a fantastic Tuesday evening. Right now it is 7 o'clock in time for your news.